Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash let's talk native. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego. Hey, if you're new to this program, you know, perhaps it's the first time you're catching our podcast or you uh, stumbled across us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Native TV, um, or you, you catch us on Facebook, or if you happen to catch this show on WPFW in Washington, D.C., I want to welcome you, introduce myself. I am John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. If you have been a listener, well, thanks for that, and thanks for uh, having been already a part of the conversations that we, we have uh, every week here. So um, I've got an interesting show today. I'm, I'm going to talk about an event that's planned for um, this coming Monday, and it, it for for many this uh, the second Monday of of October has been uh, as as my guest says has has called it the C word, <laughs> uh, but many people are celebrating this uh, this Monday as Indigenous Peoples Day, and we will use that day to highlight Native issues. And there is an uh, a, an issue that is that is. Um, Got, has gotten our attention, and it has to do with a major development, albeit solar, a, a major solar farm. They're trying to build on disputed lands, on actually disputed burial grounds. So let me uh, go ahead and introduce my guest. I want to introduce Paul Winnie. He's from uh, the, the Tonawanda uh, Seneca Territory, and uh, Paul and I go back quite a ways. So it's it, it's great to have Paul. Actually, Paul, I don't think you've been on this program for quite some time. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, Sego and Scano. All right, so uh, let's let's get right into it. Uh, you have been you've been bringing this to my attention, and I and I know that this has not gathered as much political attention as this probably should have garnered. But uh, but I know more and more people are paying attention to this. Give give me a, a you know a bit bit of a breakdown on, on what's happening out there in um, uh, this just on the on the shores of essentially the Genesee River in Avon, what is, what is now known as Avon, New York. Sure. Yeah, the um, solar company involved is Enver Energy. It's a Chicago-based company uh, planning to put um, a mega solar project um, both on both sides of the river uh, in the town of Caledonia and the town of Rush. And it includes approximately 
three, the leasing of about 3,000 acres, and they're um, looking at approximately 2,000 of, of it being workable area, which would in, constitute 600,000 solar panels. Hmm. Now talk um, about the land. I mean, the, the land is obviously um, uh, a big question mark, especially for, for uh, Seneca's. This is uh, a land that is uh, not just ancestral Seneca land, but it is, it is kind of disputed territory and it has its own, you know, clear history associated with it. So go ahead and fill us in on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, historically, you could take this back to the Ice Age. So for nine, 10,000 years of habitation, but uh, in recent times, um, more towards the 1800s, when the reservation era started from the Big Tree Treaty uh, of 97, there was the Kanawagas Reservation, which was a two, two square, square mile area. And that's on the east side of the river of, uh, I'm sorry, the west side of, uh, across from the town of Avon. Mm -hmm. So this this goes back to Seneca territory um, that's being used as part of this project. And it's 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 um, recognized as the as the birthplace of uh, both uh, Corn Planter and his uh, half brother, uh, who people knew as uh, um, Handsome Lake. So it, it has some historical significance, and, and some people really would consider this, you know, this ground, this land, you know, um, of significant consequence to, to Seneca, Seneca history and Seneca culture. Yeah, archaeologically speaking, you know, there's many sites. I mean, the Genesee Valley is just loaded with uh, if, uh, habitation, you know, uh, right through history. So there's a it's a highly sensitive area in archaeological terms. Yeah, and, and almost and, and as you say, almost every place needs to have not just an environmental um, uh, impact study, but it, it does have to with go through an additional process because of this you know, archaeological uh, uh, sensitivity issue. And you now, did did this project go through all of those steps? And and these are supposed to involve public hearings and that kind of thing. Uh, did did this project go through all those steps? Yeah, we're in the process now of uh, archaeological 1B um, survey, surface surveying. Um, it's, it also falls under uh, New York State's Article 10 procedure. Mm -hmm. So Article 10 is, is set up with a siting board that reviews the application for said energy projects. Mm -hmm. So um, the only issue we have with with that is there, um, this year in the the New York State budget, they they altered it, um, which pretty much took away local um, townships' voices because now they have an override power uh, to speed up the process of these uh, projects, much less the government trying to speed up infrastructure. Uh, out of the White House, that kind of a thing. So we're in a little different uh, situation than uh, this is the first time I'm dealing with this new uh, potentially accelerated process. So. Now, does, uh, the, does the gravesite um, protection, uh, the federal statute, does, it, does that come into play here at all? Well, my understanding, a lot of times they, they will just 
view them and but then they'll push with the nagpra to you know remove the bones and look relocate them right right so there's no real burial protection there is some sort of thing that new york state was trying to look um for an individual um it's the unprotected uh burial act that uh, hasn't been passed yet so now are some of the uh and again i agree with you that that you know we all are charged with certain responsibility as it relates to this thing but um have any of the have any has any leadership uh, both native and non-native stepped up on this issue well now you know through the process the article 10 they obviously have to notify any uh, nation or tribe within 15 miles of a project area. So, you know, um, Seneca Nation, Tonawanda, you know, Tuscarora, you know, have uh, been notified. Um, I personally only found out about this by an editorial um, this June, June 22nd to be exact, is when somebody sent me a copy and then I've dropped what I was doing and pretty much a been doing it ever since mm-hmm. June 22nd of this year. Hmm. So, now, one of the things that I, I want to be, I, I, I want to be clear here because, you know, from a, an environmental concern um, and as, you know, caretakers uh, of the, of the planet and, and all that, um, this might sound like we're, like we're dogging the, this idea of sustainable energy, but you personally, um, Actually, I think it's it's great that you're involved in this project because you are a, an advocate of solar power. You've got solar panels on your buildings at uh, you know at, at your place. I've you know you you've shown me what, what you have there, and you've been doing this for years. So you're not anti uh, necessarily anti wind, anti solar, anti sustainable energy. You just are really more concerned about this idea of these utility scale projects that get imposed upon people with, with, with people having very little to say about it. And as far as native people, when it gets imposed on lands that, uh, that are ours historically, it becomes even more complicated. So I, I guess I wanted to, you know, let the listeners know that, that we're not taking the position that we're against solar power. Right. Yeah. No, if anything, I'm, I've had geothermal and solar on my, um, my business and home for 10 years. Right. I mean, I, I, I was advocating to t- get my place off the grid and like we all should be. Right. So I'm, I'm totally into the, the, uh, that kind of thing, just not, uh, the mega things that can be taken a bunch of different ways. Um, the, the whole thing basically comes down from, you know, Como's green, um, uh, deal initiative to, uh, get New York state, uh, initially it was 50% by 2030. And then a few years ago, he upped it to 75% by 2030. And then off of all fossil stuff, uh, I think it was around 2045 or something. So, but New York state hasn't done a, done a very good job advocating residential use of solar or wind and that kind of stuff. They, they have really, you know, stuck to the to the utility scale stuff, which you know, frankly, keeps it still keeps us as prisoners of of these mega utilities and uh, and that system that that capitalist system. I mean, look, 
we would be supporting economies by buying these things and putting them on our homes. But the idea that we wouldn't necessarily have a have a, an electric bill or be serviced through a these multinational corporations that are that are, are these utility companies, that's something that that isn't. This is where our pushback comes from, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the big companies. This is when you look at the whole scheme. This push, uh, if you're not paying attention, these microgrids, all of these solar things are all trying to add up into relieving the electrical distribution for like downstate, so that there's more power available. But the the mega projects, this and uh, Byron also has a, a, a large um, unit going in. But on a smaller scale, I, I, I'm been concerned with why doesn't, like you're saying, more local use, more why doesn't uh, a town have its own community power thing where it involves their money and their savings and not have some out of state uh, big corporation. Uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't uncommon for there, for there to be municipal uh, utilities. In fact, even when they were doing the big hydro projects associated with with Niagara, um, there was and, and other places. I mean, I lived in uh, Plattsburgh, worked in Plattsburgh, New York for a while, and they have their own municipal utilities. And and when you have that, then you have an incentive to not just be tapped into somebody's mainline, you know again regional grid you can actually uh, create your own and they're not even necessarily microgrids but you you end up having more control because you're producing some of your own power and the more that it's only national grid or it's only you know these these major con ed or, or whoever that that are producing this power we be we still become um not only dependent on them but it's also a way and this is the other thing that people don't realize as long as we're still hooked to them, they can still um, uh, hit us with all their stranded costs from like shut down nuclear power plants and and even as they have to you know uh, shut down coal fire plants and that kind of stuff, they'll still make us pay for that because they'll hide it in the bill with these stranded costs. So the more we can sever ourselves from these these major corporations that that we've been dependent on for our utilities, the better off we'll be. Yeah, I would hope that uh, most more residents use their own power, uh, and then and not you. You don't need all of them, and, and more incentives. But it's all it's all about the 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 economy stimulus that this would produce. You know, to also help the the Como. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and and again, the big numbers are are you know add up. Um, quickly and they and they love to be able to do their photo ops with these big events and you know, obviously you know, taking a, taking their pictures with residential scale or, or community scale stuff doesn't necessarily give them the, the same bang for their buck i guess well talk to me about the uh, the event on, on on monday this is again monday october 12th it's just this coming monday um uh talk to me about the way you see this thing shaking out yeah this thing you know developed like once i started making awareness to the public and it, it just kind of grew on its own so that we have uh, Tonawanda people involved. Now we have uh, Seneca Nation people involved. It's a grassroots thing that started. So right. we're having this um, 
rally to bring up uh, notice that uh, we're trying to protect the burials of our ancestors. That's right. basically the theme because there, like I said, there's so many uh, of the burials in that area that, uh, and, you know, we're taught not to disturb those things. Um, so that's, that's what we're here to do as uh, protectors of the, uh, the ancestors, not in this case, not water, not, you know, whatever, but it, it's, it's also protecting the, the natural wildlife that's there, the environment, so to speak. So um, that includes these very large oak trees that are in the area. There's um, uh, a Savannah Oak project that they call it, where they studied how Seneca's used and, and left large oak trees in their fields. Mm. And now there's in, in that area, in the Genesee area, there are still some large 200, 300 year old trees there that, that been, have survived through that. But that's, that's another thing that would, um, that's affected by this project. So the event is going to be at 11 a.m. on Monday. And we're going to gather at a, down by the river, the Genesee River on Route 5 and walk uh, Route 5 uh, west back up to the New York State Historical Marker on the Kanawagas territory uh, that used to be there. And there's uh, at the corner of West River Road, is there a sign that says uh, birthplace of Corn Planter and Handsome Lake. And, uh, and that's in the, that's, that, is that right in the village of, of Avon? No, Avon is on the east side of the river. We will be going from the river west okay. um, uh, into the town of Caledonia. Okay, all right. Town of Caledonia. Well, I, I, uh, I'll plan to make the trip out. And, uh, and you're, you're suggesting people bring their banners and their flags or, you know, wear, wear yeah, our we'll colors, walk. as they say. <laughs> yeah, we'll walk. We'll, we'll walk that those of us can walk. You know, we've, we've got some parking at the Blue Sign area uh, at the end of the trail there. A parking lot to anybody that wants to, uh, that can't walk, could stay up there. Mm -hmm. So we'll, when, when we have parking at the, at the river there. So, and then there were, we planned, it's kind of last minute, but we we're getting together with uh, the town of Rush for their indigenous proclamation dedication uh, later on in the afternoon, probably after a lunch break, the way it looks right now. Well, and and a lot of these these small towns look. There hasn't been a, a state designation, but you know, over the years, because of the noise we've made over uh, the celebration of you know of Christopher Columbus, uh, we have convinced. And I say we, I don't mean just you and me. I mean obviously Native people all over, uh, frankly, all over the the world have raised this issue, and more and more towns. Um, uh, Akron, and I know you were you were part of that conversation as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, more and more towns have have struck the the celebration of Christopher Columbus from that day, and have uh, and have put put it uh, now made their own proclamations for Indigenous Peoples Days. Um, so, uh, and again, I know that work continues, and uh, I'll talk about a little bit that a little bit more in the second half of the show, but. Um, well, well, that's cool. Then I'll, I'll, I know that I'll plan to be there, and I'll, and I plan to see you, you there. It'll be look. We live in a time now, 
where we don't see each other very often. So it's going to, um, I guess I, I do, uh, would like to remind people to wear, wear a mask. Um, you know, we will be, um, probably social distancing, I'm sure, right, but, right. um, you know, just to be on the safe side, look with all the stuff that's in the news all the time, including the president of the United States, you know, just blowing off all of these, these protocols. And, and now he finds himself, uh, infected. We don't, we can make a stand or take a stand. Um, we can demonstrate, you know, our, uh, our issues and raise these issues and not have to place anybody in jeopardy. I think it's an opportunity for us to come together as a bit of a celebration, but also um, to have our voices be heard and, and to protect, um, you know, the birthplace and the burial sites of, uh, of many of our ancestors. Yeah. We want to bring this up to the uh, forefront and then with uh, the the tribal governments to actually, you know, take a stand on this. It's it's the people that are that are going down there to protect and voice their opinion that uh, burials shouldn't be uh, disturbed, and that's why we uh, are planning this thing. So hopefully, um, things can get uh, pushed our way eventually, um, and you know the weather's coming, and then it's it's all a matter of staying within their um, parameters of this Article 10, like this will have to go through a series of archaeological studies, which would be phase two, where right now they're just in surface study, only like three weeks in. Mm, After that becomes the phase two, where they would dig test holes, phase three, where they, you know, they scrape off the top layer to find ground marks and screening screening and that kind of stuff sure so so we're so we're trying to stay abreast of this the best we can so that uh that we can you know stop this i mean there's other projects i'm involved with the the windmills in barry and that's how where i kind of got initiated in this a few years ago they want to put in industrial or they are industrial windmills but on the um uh, offshore size, like 650. And this is right next to the Iroquois wildlife refuge. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a big impact in the, on the windmill side. Like I said, we're not necessarily windmill, uh, objector, but we also don't want it right next to the migration of the Iroquois, uh, the wildlife bird. Well, and again, most of that's bird population. That refuge is primarily a, a, a spot for, yeah, again, bird migration. So it's it bird, is absurd. There, yeah. yeah, it's 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 just you know we're just trying to speak up for the like I said the environment as well. So I mean the, the Mother Earth doesn't. We have to be the voice, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing. Well, and and we have to be the voice because we're the ones responsible. I mean, let's face it, in the United States, you know, the United States only represents, you know, 5% of the world's population, but they they consume, you know, somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30% of all of, um, you know, all fossil fuels and, and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, they... You know, I've heard you know, the United States described as an energy monger because of, you know, the amount of waste, because of the amount of consumption that uh, that that we've been, you know, we we get inundated with this stuff right all around us. And um, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot that we all can do individually, but there's also uh, things that you that we have to do collectively uh, to, to, you know, to to change 
um, how we view these things. And, and while I'm all for uh, sustainable energy projects, they shouldn't come uh, at the they shouldn't come at the cost of the environment either. And I, and I think when people understand what a true carbon footprint is, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, that coal fired plants are the answer, but I think there has to be a, a certain amount of um, balance that's given as uh, and, and a proper assessment on just how green some of these projects really are. Yeah, a lot of this with the um, the large industrial thing, they spin off into these smaller LLC things. So right. it, it kind of masks what's actually going on and, you know, goes on from that. But I'm also trying to make the point on the on the land, on the Seneca land, there, this argument for Canawagas leads into the 1826 treaty which I would like to talk to you and Regan about some point where we also had other reservations down there on, on the Genesee river that mm-hmm. were relinquished with the 1826 treaty, which was never ratified by Congress. Um, so, well, and a lot of that land was, um, was swindled away uh, because they, they honestly thought they would connect the um, uh, through um, through canals, they were going to try to connect the southern tier through uh, with the Mohawk Valley with the, with the canal system. So there were a lot of speculators, and there were a lot of people who stepped up trying to gobble up all of that Genesee River Valley stuff because that was that's what they were speculating. Yeah, that's just what we've been fighting for sure. five hundred years. Yeah, so it, it just it's just a new way of of genocide to you know to erase our history you know if they want to cover up our history with solar panels then you know we slowly disappear that right kind of a thing. well and and uh, at the end it, it masks you know for any of us who want to teach our children or our grandchildren about the history of a region all of a sudden it just it, it almost be, it becomes unrecognizable because it uh um, it, 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 it is no longer the land uh, itself. It is, it's all this, this massive development. And, and again, there has, to be, there has to be balance. There has to be balance uh, considered in, in all of these projects. So, well, no, Paul, I, I, I want to thank you for joining me. And, and I, will, uh, I will have you back. We'll, I will have you join us on our Let's Talk program in New York. But uh, I, I want to thank you for giving me your time. And I know you've been giving me the heads up on this, and I haven't responded a whole lot, but I knew this was coming up. So I was glad I was able to reach out to you and have you, have you join me for today. Um, I'll, I'll see you uh, on Next Monday. Monday. Right. <laughs> All right. You take yeah. care of yourself. And thank you so much for, uh, for, for bringing, for you, uh, uh, you know, almost um, solely being, uh, being one of the, the major voices on this issue. So I, I thank you for that. All right. Well, now we. Okay. All right. That's that's Paul Winnie. Uh, he is a Tonawanda Seneca, and he is one of the folks, one of the voices behind this rally to protect ancestors uh, that's going to take place um, on the Genesee River near the town of Avon um, on Monday, October twelfth, which is. Uh, we are calling Indigenous Peoples Day. I know some, many people will be off work. I mean, I know school's a, a whole n- another subject these days. But uh, um, if, you, if you're available and you're uh, out and about, uh, it would be great for you to stop down. It's right there on uh, Route fives and, uh, 5 and 20, um, in the, uh, in the vil- right near the village of Alvon. Um, we'll look for you there. And you, you look, people can reach out to me uh, if you, if you like to, more information. But um, uh, we'll, be, we'll be there on Monday. 
I want to thank you guys. Hey, we're going to take a break. Um, and then when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what what Monday is going to represent because it, it's kind of an, uh, we're into uncharted territory, so to speak. So um, uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, after a break. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back, and uh, thank you again uh, to Paul Winnie for joining me for the program and uh, giving us a heads up on this uh, rally that's planned for uh, well, to to oppose and to, and to let our voices be heard on this mega solar project that is being planned um, that essentially is going to disturb not only ancestral Seneca land but um, uh, the birthplace of folks like uh, Corn Planter and Hansel Blake and and a burial uh, site as well. So. Uh, I want to thank Paul Winnie from uh, the Tonawanda Territory of the Senecas um, for for joining me. Um, hey, look, uh, Monday is uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. It is it, it is that date that we've been challenging the celebration of Columbus over. I want to remind people that I've got a couple of videos. If you go to my YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. Um, we've got, um, you know, one of our more popular videos, which is Columbus in his own words, but I also have another video that's, uh, maybe three or three or four years older than that. And it's basically John Kane on the real history of Christopher Columbus. So there's two videos. I got two Columbus videos. Uh, if you want to learn, uh, something about, uh, why it is that we oppose this celebration, you can check out those videos and Columbus in his own words is, uh, is, is literally using the, uh, uh, Christopher Columbus's own uh, journals and the journals of his contemporaries to to describe what was transpiring at the hands um, of Christopher Columbus. So uh, um, that's a good way to 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 learn something about why um, you know why we take the stand on the celebration of a day in his name uh, the way we do. Now I also want to bring up. Look, this is going to be the first second Monday of October, whatever you call it, um, since the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Now, those, and a, and a long line of others um, before them, and, and a few since them, that have um, really caused the Black Lives Matter movement to, to you know, gain in some momentum. There's been a lot of um, uh, calls for social justice, for police reform, uh, but really highlighting the, the the issues of racism in in the United States. And we, as Native people, who have been raising issues about uh, about Columbus statues and, and and a day dedicated to him and all that other stuff, we've been the, the beneficiaries of this heightened awareness of racism in the United States. And as as a result, there have been a bunch of these t- statues that have been toppled, some that have been just knocked down, thrown in the rivers. I mean, uh, and and then there's other places where, because of the protests, uh, they've been taken down, you know, by city officials. Uh, they you know boarded up, boxed up, sent out, created out of there. Um, so we've been raising 
this attention, you know, this, this issue for a while. And because of the heightened awareness on racism, because of this disproportionate amount of deaths at the hands of cops for people of color, native people, black people, uh, you know, uh, brown people, um, we, this will be, again, this will be one of the, one of the first celebrations of that, that day in dispute, so to speak, uh, since the toppling of a bunch of these statues. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, there's still, um, calendars and there's still going to be people selling, uh, carpeting and washing machines on sale for, you know, somehow that becomes, you know, uh, a reason for a sale, I guess. There'll, there'll be people celebrating this thing as Columbus Day. And we will continue to be raising awareness about, uh, about who he was, what he was, uh, what he started. Um, I, and as I said, as this discussion about racism becomes more prevalent and more contentious, I mean, look, even, I mean, I think, I think about Philadelphia where the battle over their, their, uh, statue, uh, turned into what could have been a really, really violent conflict. In fact, there, you know, let's not pull any punches. There was violence. There were, there were reporters, there were, uh, you know, people who were protesting the Columbus statue who were beaten, um, by, by some of the people were showing up with baseball bats and, you know, and, you know, and not necessarily with, with, a, with a whole lot of weapons, uh, firearms, but certainly with, with weapons, that they could, you know, personally injure people with. And so this was, this gotten really, really hot. And, and finally the, uh, the mayor of Philadelphia said, uh, put a box over the damn thing and, and said, we're not going to, uh, you know, stand for, um, uh, this thing to escalate the way it is. So it, it has become a contentious, a contentious issue here in, uh, in the area known as Western New York, we, you know, we raise this issue. And finally in the city of Buffalo, uh, at, a, at a park they called Columbus Park, they they too decided to re to remove a uh, a statue, put a box over it, and ultimately remove it. Um, so we know that we've had effect. We know this uh, this awareness on racism has ha had an effect, but the conversation needs to needs to continue. It, it it isn't just about striking the statues. It's about understanding the way history has been uh, relayed over the years. I mean, look, our kids are still being taught some of this crap in, in schools. I mean, and not just high schools. I mean, grade schools. You know, the, the, the whole rhyme in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's still stuck in my head. And so we have to re-educate our children, our grandchildren, and we have to convince schools to, to relay that message in a different way. Uh, look, if, if somebody wants to talk about the historical significance of of Columbus being lost and, and washing up on the shores of, uh, of of these Caribbean islands, that's not um, a celebration when you consider what he actually did to the native people there, which included slavery, included mutilation, and included massacre. Uh, you know, and and when I say slavery, I'm actually talking about sex, the sex slave trade. Most people don't know this, but the first transatlantic uh, slave ship was was not bringing uh, Africans from Western Africa to uh, you know to the Western Hemisphere. It, it was it was native people from those islands. So the the Arawak, you know the um, the, uh, the the native people of of, of that area, you know, Taino, Arawak. I know there's a, a bunch of other names that uh, that are that are used to describe those people, but. Those people were the first victims of the doctrine of Christian discovery in the Western Hemisphere. 
Africans had already been the victims of some of this stuff. Uh, that again, a uh, a church dogma that comes out of uh, the Vatican in the in the late 15th century, early 16th century, that would promote slavery. It would it would promote treating non Christians as uh, as animals, literally referring to us. Uh, as the enemies, their enemies, simply because we didn't practice the same faith. The doctrine of Christian discovery, which would, would, which would follow Columbus to our shores, was basically this premise of, you know, promoted by the Catholic Church that says we don't have the right to own land. That native people are like the animals. We, we, we just wander around like, like squirrels and, and rabbits, I guess. And that it's only the Christian nations of Europe that could claim title. Ruth Bader Ginsburg cites the doctrine of Christian discovery in a, in a case in 2005 re relating to the Oneidas, where, he, where she simply says that, that the lands formerly occupied by native people became vested in the sovereigns, first the discovering nations of Europe, then the states and the United States. She doesn't say how that happens. She just says, and, and her explanation suggests the mere laying eyes on us uh, uh, by by the christian nations of europe would mean that they could take uh, they could claim ownership of land and of course when this stuff gets cited this way it isn't there's there's plenty of contradictions throughout history but these are the things that become bedrock legal principles that get used against us so when we raise the issues about christopher columbus and uh and the catholic church and the role that they had in promoting slavery, both the, the African slave trade uh, and, and the enslavement of Native people. That would go on for centuries. I mean, a, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, that the, the role that uh, the, the Spanish would play in, in particular not only starts the whole process in, in 1492, but even in the 19th century, there were Native people still being enslaved by church missionaries, by the churches themselves, um, in, in places like California. So this this is something that you know that uh, that there is never the proper historical perspective given to this issue. And so when we talk about Columbus, we aren't just talking about the first day he arrived. We're talking about the legacy of Columbus. We're talking about the legacy of genocide that would that he would initiate, and and. And there's no way to, to get around this the subject. There, Christopher Columbus himself was was such a tyrant that his own people would actually send him back to Spain in chains at, at some point. Not because they were defending us, by mind you, but this is the, was the nature of the human being. He was not this brave explorer. He was he wasn't an explorer at all. I mean, what he was trying to do was create a a shorter trade route to the Indies, not just India, but to the, but to the East Indies. And this guy was so ill-informed and, and, and uh, so unskilled in his uh, calculations, naval calculations, that he misjudged the size of the earth by almost by half. He was actually closer to India and the Indies, uh, the East Indies, before he left Spain than any, than any other time. He was actually sailing farther away because he had no idea what the true size of the planet was. He had no idea that there was, um, that there was a Pacific Ocean. He thought that the Atlantic Ocean would connect directly to what, what they knew is what they called the Indian Ocean. And of course, 
His labeling of us as Indio, as Indi uh, Indians, came from his belief that he had reached the the easternmost um, islands of the East Indies. He didn't know that he had reached a whole nother hemisphere of land, a whole nother continental land base. He had no idea. He died not knowing that. So all these people who want to say, oh, Columbus discovered America. Well, I think before you can say anybody discovered something, they have to acknowledge that they discovered something even for them. And of course, he didn't discover it. There, there were literally over 100 million native people living uh, in uh, in, in North and South, uh, what, what would be called North and South America, Turtle Island. Uh, so this, this whole idea that that Columbus is attributed with the, with this credit is is not only false, but it but it, it it completely ignores the the atrocities that were committed not only by Christopher Columbus personally, but by the men that he was charged to lead, and the and the and and the centuries of men that would come at, come after him including the dutch including the germans including the british including uh you know all you know all of these european nations who saw our lands the french we we'll only leave out the french uh all, our lands as something that they could just take why because the catholic church told them they could the popes told them they could that basically this was their opportunity to to I mean, on one hand, they called it spreading Christendom, but it wasn't just about, it wasn't about conversion. It wasn't about saving our souls. It was about taking our lands and it, and it was about getting rid of us. You know, this is, you know, when, when people talk about what happened with, with the, with the slave trade and, and the, the whole chattel slavery um, industry that would frankly flourish in the United States even more so than South America. Look, the genocide may have began um, at the earlier in, in the, the Caribbean and South America, but it will continue, and, and the United States, after its independence, would continue to build on this, this notion of chattel slavery. And Native people were part of that slave trade, too. Just so you know, look, by some estimations, only about a half a million, and I want to say this properly, about a half a million um, people were uh, kidnapped and, uh, and stolen from their people in Africa and brought to North America. Much more than that you know, would, would come through South America and Central America, the Caribbean and that kind of stuff. But from, from, from an American standpoint, most of the slave trade were, were, was built out of, out of keeping uh, native people and black people in chains, breeding in captivity so they could, they can buy and sell us. That's what, that's what the, the whole chattel slavery thing in the, you know, in the years prior to the civil war in the 1860s, the number one asset industrial asset of the United States was, was human labor. It was it was slaves. It, it, it were it were it was people who were enslaved to do the work. And it, it's the, the irony when when I hear people talk about you know immigrants stealing American jobs. Americans never did the work that uh, that they want to attribute to to building the United States. They never did. They either had slaves or they ex they exploited Chinese immigrants. They, they ex you know Asian immigrants. They exploited uh, you know immigrants from from 
from South America, from all over. If, if they weren't slaves, they were people who were treated like slaves. And that's what the wealth of the United States was built on. So when we come in to the second Monday of October, and we're still having this conversation, we're still battling this notion that there are people who want to celebrate Christopher Columbus. And, and look, and, I, and I've got to call out Italian-Americans. Why? Because he was anything but a, uh, a symbol of, of Italian-American heritage or culture. He did not bring any Italian culture to, certainly not to, to, to the United States, but he didn't bring it to, to anywhere. Why? For one thing, Italy wasn't even a country in 1492. It was a, it was a region, and the region that he was from, which was Genoa, wasn't even on the Italian peninsula. The peninsula is the boot, you know? Where he was from was considered outside of that region. He would have been hard, hardly recognized as an Italian in eighteen or in in uh, uh, fourteen ninety two. So he didn't bring a culture, an Italian culture. He spoke Portuguese, and he was sponsored and and sailed on on behalf of of Spain. So anybody anybody wants to make the argument that he is this Italian American hero, it's just not true. I mean, it's just not true. So I don't begrudge um, Columbus because I'm trying to take my shots at Italian American. I have, I have no beef. In fact, some of the, you know, I, I grew up with, with, with families and, and with friends, uh, you know, of, of all different ethnicities. And, and Italians were among some of, uh, Italian Americans were among some of my closest friends. So, you know, I know I don't want to say, I know that sounds like, you know, the person who says, oh, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. I, I don't mean to, I don't want to sound like that, but, but, but to be clear, I don't begrudge Italian Americans. I just think that their, their um, heroism of, uh, of Christopher Columbus is completely misplaced. It shouldn't be. In fact, there, are, there's much more that, uh, that Italian Americans could be proud of. But I, I but, but I always come back to, to this one thing. You know, when I, when anytime I hear um, any uh, immigrant population in the United States um, try to heroize somebody of questionable character, it, 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 makes me, it makes me wonder what the desire there is for. And I look, look, I understand that every immigrant population, well, not everyone, but many immigrant populations, and Italians were among them, were persecuted when they, when they first came. Why? Because they came, they came to, to our homelands impoverished. They didn't, they didn't come because they were wealthy with bags full of money and say, because they wanted to share their wealth to, you know, to, the, to the land of milk and honey. No, they came destitute because things had gone horribly wrong in, in Europe. They had gone horribly wrong for uh, for Irish immigrants. They had gone ho horribly wrong for Italian immigrants. They had gone ho horribly wrong for many people. Why? Because Europeans screwed up their uh, their homelands. So when they come here and then they want to celebrate and promote and 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 push a, a false narrative on somebody like Christopher Columbus that they have very little, if any, connection to whatsoever. That's where we, that's where we get into this clash of cultures. And the the irony is. It isn't even a clash of cultures. It's a class, it's, it's a clash of beliefs because we have no conflict with, with Italian culture. And, but that's not what Christopher Columbus ever represented. So 
when we do come on to uh, <laughs> to this coming Monday, and and as people as you hear that name Christopher Columbus, uh, you know, retold and respoken over and over and over again, again, do a little do, do a little of your own digging. You know, there are, there are a lot of videos. I've got a, a couple of them myself that, that I've done. On my, and you can find them on my YouTube channel. In fact, we'll post up a couple of links here. Um, I have a couple of videos, and, and Columbus, in his own words, is, is one of the uh, is the probably the last one that I've done on Columbus, and, and it's one of the, the better videos that I've done. So I encourage you to take a look at it and, and share it. You know, look, the whole purpose of this program, again, for those of you who may have just joined us for the first time, the purpose of this program is to promote a conversation. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything that that I'm saying or my guests are saying or the opinions that we're expressing here, but at least know that our opinion exists. And then we can have a further dialogue. Then you'll understand a little bit more what it's like to view things from a native perspective. I'm not asking you to view things from a native perspective. I'm just asking you to be aware that there is a native perspective. We're still here. In spite of genocide, in spite of slavery, in spite of residential schools, in spite of massacres, in spite of sterilization programs, in spite of all of the things that, that have been done to Native people, the removal of us from our own, own lands, we're still here. Now, we, we, we got here with, with many losses, and, and I, and I want, to, want to make it sound like um, that, that we won. <laughs> Look, we're in a constant battle every single day to uh, to fight for our autonomy, our distinction. You know, it, it is really hard to have a conversation either in the U.S. or Canada and and explain to people, no, we're not. We don't consider ourselves Canadians. We don't consider ourselves Americans. These are tough conversations. And not everybody shares the view that I do. But these are tough conversations because there's an assumption that gets made that Canada and the United States are these beautiful, wonderful places that everybody wants to go to. So who the hell are we to decry anything about the United States or Canada? Well, we are the casualties of the United States and Canada. And we will continue to be that until there comes a time. And you know, the easy, the low-hanging fruit is for the United States and Canada to recognize the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. But they don't even do that. They recognize it as an aspirational document. But the document itself is the minimum standard. It is the minimum standard that the rest of the world recognizes as what nation states should recognize as far as indigenous rights. It is not utopia. It, it is not um, a fair exchange. It, it is not um, reparations. It is not reconciliation. It's the minimum standard for our for our our, our well being for for our for our future, our survival. Now, as a native person, I'm not looking for the minimum standard. I'm looking for much more than that. I am, I'm not looking for world domination. If it happened to come, I would take it. No, I'm only kidding. I'm not looking for world domination, but we're just looking for people to recognize that we're still here. And that we have a right. Look, I've, I've, heard, I've heard others who will tell some of this history. They'll, they'll, they'll decry the doctrine of Christian discovery and then use it as some sort of argument for assimilation anyway. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The reason we're bringing up the, 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 the unjust 
ness of the doctrine of Christian discovery is to make our argument that we have the right to still exist as this as as free and independent people. Not because we want inclusion. That's frankly that's kind of what the doctrine of Christian discovery it was to to eliminate us as distinct people. Look, I say this all the time and I'll say it again. Genocide is not just about murdering people. It's about creating the conditions with the intention that we would cease to continue to live as the people we once were. And that, that we would have somebody else's character, somebody else's history, somebody else's culture, somebody else's laws, somebody else's government imposed upon us. Imposed upon us. That's what is, is that's, that is assimilation. And that too is genocide as well. Creating the conditions with the intention of making a people cease to exist. It is really, really difficult because I'll tell you, even as the United States will claim that they support this idea of, you know, um, self-determination for Native people, they don't. They insist that we're their citizens. Canada insists that we're their citizens. They don't recognize that we have even the right to claim distinction from them. Not trying to claim superiority, not trying to claim special privileges, but still trying to maintain that we have the right to exist as a distinct people. And everything that you use, whether it's the doctrine of Christian discovery, whether it's your constitution, whether it's you know, your armies, whether it's your, your literature, whatever you've used, Hollywood, whatever you have used to try to make us, to eliminate us, we're still here. And we've lost a lot of people along the way, but we're still here and there's still many of us who maintain that distinction and who refuse to melt into the melting pot of American or Canadian culture. We just refuse to do it. So on Monday, as you're buying your discount mattress, <laughs> just, just remember that, that we had to face Christopher Columbus and that he became the face of genocide first to the Arawak and the Taino, and would, would pave the way for what we would experience for this ongoing 500-year genocide, the American Holocaust. I want to thank you for listening. Um, again, we'll post the, uh, the flyer for the, the rally to protect ancestors uh, that's going to take place in, uh, near Avon, New York uh, on Monday. And uh, we'll post some links to our, to our YouTube videos as well. Um, when you get a chance, check them out. Um, and again, I want to remind you, if you are not subscribed to our podcast or to our uh, YouTube channel, you might be missing some content. So I encourage you to do so. Also, check us out. We are on Patreon. Um, and uh, we'll see you back here next program. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh. Yeah.